My name is Claudia Pribola, the Chief Operating Officer at the New Jersey Elder Law Center at Goldberg Law Group. In my role as COO, I am confronted daily with families in need, in need of attention, resources, and a plan. These families all have one thing in common, and they may not even know it. They all seek the one thing that their senior members can provide them, and that all parents might provide their children and grandchildren. They're looking to maintain their legacy. My name is Clelia Pergola, and I am here to focus on your legacy. Micheline Davis, welcome. Micheline Davis, she has been named among the 25 most influential minority leaders in healthcare in the nation by Modern Healthcare Magazine, Becker's Hospital Review Top 50, and Top 65 African Americans to Know in Healthcare for her public health center track record of policy successes. Micheline Davis is the new president and chief executive officer of National Medical Fellowships. By the way, the second woman to serve as the New Jersey state treasurer. Um, yeah. And first African-American to serve in the position in, in the state, chief po policy counsel to former New Jersey governor, John Corzine. I mean, so, okay. I have to ask, how do you... Get yourself in these positions to break down barriers. Like, oh my goodness. Do you aim for it? Do, are you like, this is what, because you're, you, you break down so many barriers. I have to, you know what, I, I, I'm always concerned about this because my, my career had been, <laughs> had been less a straight line and more like shoots and ladders. Um, <laughs> and I say that, Love that game. because. <laughs> I say that because, um, you know, I always really want to have some great, like, how-to for folks, right? Listen, I wrote, I wrote a book on change agency, right? Um, and so, but my issue literally is, um, especially at that time of my career, I, I, again, my head was down and I was just doing the work. I got a tap on my shoulder. So I was in, I was a trial litigator for the first 10 years of my career, right? I was in court trying cases. And the, as you know, in the state of New Jersey, our judges are not elected. They are uh, recommended by senators and then appointed by the governor. Well, of one of the, the courts that I was um, in um, having a trial, I had appeared before them several times. The judge um, had invited the senator who had nominated him to come and watch this young, um, quite frankly, this young woman attorney. Uh, try a case and he because I just you know I'm very much me so you know in the middle of my trials I was still very much me you know so I would listen I did criminal defense most people don't like my clients right so I got it I had to get the gut the, the jury to like me because they're not gonna like my client right and then I gotta wrap myself around the client right so I, I you know I just do things that way we laughed a lot right we could be on a homicide trial but juries would be laughing because of the other things I would say. Um, uh, speaking of which, I remember tripping in court and being like, like "You're like, oh, this poor lady." Yeah, and looking at the jury, like, you see what I mean? I mean, they were. Uh, it was so funny. Um, 
but I will tell you, um, I went from that, they, that, that, that particular Senator came up and did watch me, um, shortly thereafter, a friend called me and said, send me your resume. Didn't know what for. I got a call to come down and interview with the commissioner of health. Um, and it was because so many of my clients, um, I was a public defender and so many of the indigent really wind up in the criminal justice system. They really belong in the mental health system. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, I would argue that. I would argue that I would argue that, you know, my client, um, uh, because she's indigent, she's here on a, on a possession charge, but if she were a rock star, she would be self-medicating. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I was honoring, I was, I, I would argue a lot of that. Um, and as a result, I got invited to go down and serve as a senior policy advisor to the commissioner of health. And then, you know, Governor McGreevy, who is my friend. Hi, Jim. Um, uh, you know, what happened Hi, there? He stood, <laughs> <laughs> he stood up and, and had to resign and and um, made way for Governor uh, Cody, who was Senate president, who then Governor Cody called me. You So listen, this is my how-to. Be good to everybody because you never know who anyone is, right? Be mm -hmm. good to everyone because humanity demands it, right? Be good to everyone. And so I remember Senator Cody called me because I worked on some committee with someone that he knew and admired and they gave him my name. And so he called me to make me um, the CEO of the lottery. Wow. And I was like, I'm sorry, like, how did this happen? Like, what? I kid you not. And, um, uh, <laughs> and he said to me, like, he, he went to say something about me. He said, well, I already know how pleasant you are because my, my brother-in-law lives around the corner from you. I'm sorry, what? Brother-in-law lives around the corner. I still to this day do not know who his brother-in-law is. <laughs> I do not know which one of my neighbors it was, right? So I'm a friendly neighbor, right? So I, I am a horribly friendly neighbor. I should, warn, I should warn you about that. I throw parties in my cul-de-sac for their kids when they go back to school. I, I realize I have that issue. I realize that, but, but. Um, Where do you land? I'm I moving. Doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I wasn't doing that. Um, so, so I, I will tell you this, every single time I got tapped on my shoulder when I was, uh, uh, CEO of the lottery, I got tapped on, then, then, you know, Corzon won, Cody went out, continued serving as Senate president. I got tapped on my shoulder by the treasurer. They said, um, the, the division of lotteries within treasury and said, I, I want you to come up here and be my chief of staff. I said, no, three times, three times. They kept on me. I wound up being his chief of staff. Six months later, he made me the deputy state treasurer. Wow. And after that, when he went to move on, he recommended to the governor. He was like, actually, you should really be your treasurer. The governor called me up. I said, you're <laughs> governor. I actually don't want to be the treasurer. <laughs> um, he was like, oh, OK. Um, did not listen to me at all, at all. Um, and so I kept running the department. Um, finally, like I went to them and I was just like, you know what? I, I actually think it's time for me to go. I was going through divorce, right? That's when that divorce was happening. And um, I said, you know, I, I really, I miss my policy chops and I want to get back to policy. They were like, great, come be my chief policy counsel. It was crazy. I, I mean, right. So it, it, that's why I say it's, it's like shoots and ladders. I stumbled into a lot of these roles. But when you get into a position, you know, love and care about the position and the quality of the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. And honestly, leave the rest up to God. I mean, I, I wish I could say this in some other way, but it is firmly what I believe. And as a result, I got tapped on the shoulder for when I went to the large academic medical center, RWJ Barnabas, mm -hmm. the former CEO 
I literally was in a meeting with he and the governor and he, <laughs> uh, Ron Del Moro, he's a fantastic guy, um, started arguing with the governor. I spoke up on his behalf and he turned to me and said, well, young lady, if you're going to, if you're going to um, uh, fight that vociferously, then, you know, you're not going to do it against me. You're going to do it for me. And I thought he was joking. And then I got a call from his office. They were like, Mr. Del Mar would like to meet with you, please. Offer me a job. And I wow. kept saying no, no. I said no to that too. And no, just would not give up. Six minutes, six me meetings later. He always says, you made me, you made me court you six times. Um, six meetings later and like a, a year later, you know, I finally said, okay, you know, I'm, I'm coming to join you. I was there for 12 years. So, you know, what's an interesting fact, and I, I would love to hear your perspective on this, is I've heard that when a man is offered a job that he feels that he can't do, he automatically says yes. Women, on the other hand, feel like they need to 100% be able to do a good job and accomplish the goals. We need to clearly know what we're getting ourselves into. Now you, litigator, politics, healthcare, nonprofits, how did you pivot into all of these different areas? And did you know you were gonna be successful? No. <laughs> not only did I not know that I was gonna be <laughs> successful, there were times when I prayed to get out. I was like, oh, this was wrong. Like, let me get out of here. I remember being uh, the chief of staff of treasury um, and leaving um, uh, the lottery. I, I, I just wanted to stay at the lottery. That's all I wanted to do. Um, but that's not what the universe had for me. And so as a result thereof, right, I was, I had to go on. And um, I remember literally like crying out to God, being like, oh, this is so hard. Please send me back. Um, and I guess he was like, no, because then six months later, promotion. Um, so no, no, no. I don't think so. I, I didn't think I was going to be um, successful in every single one of them. And truth be told, I once heard someone say, if you're not in a position that keeps you like your knees pressed to the ground in prayer because you're like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, then you're, you're not in a position that's challenging enough for you. Um, I, I have heard uh, the same studies and I will tell you, I have found it to be so. I, I have posted for positions when I was in corporate and people would apply, men would apply. There would be 10 mandatory uh, requirements and they would say, you know, well, I have the bottom three and the other seven don't matter. Meanwhile, I pass a woman in a hallway and I'm like, why did you not apply for XYZ? And she's like, oh, I don't have number eight. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it crazy? I'm so like- how, So how do we encourage, like, what would your words of wisdom be to women that don't have number eight or don't have the top seven? Yeah, um, that um, they should give everyone the opportunity to uh, uh, <laughs> to 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 get um, to know them and realize that they don't need those top seven. Um, I, I realize uh, my I had a former actually he was a state treasurer and I was upset at him. We were we are we are still very close, so I can't say we were very close. Um, he became the chief of staff to the governor. Uh, he the prior Goldman Sachs VP, and um, he. I remember I said to him, you know, you, you've made me like the jack of all trades and now I do all these different things. You've taken me on my specialty and lawyers need specialty. He laughed at me. And he said, so let me get this straight. You're upset at me because I have forced you to demonstrate that you are really very good at very many things. And I was like, I, and he said, he said, hold that thought and thank me later. Kid you not. 
And so what I realized is um, uh, that first of all, everywhere you are going to work, to work, it's going to be made better by your presence, right? I'm talking to your listeners now. And so give them the chance. The world is waiting to say no to you. Don't say no to yourself. The world will do it for you. So don't, and you know, and we do it all the time. We, we self-elect out all the time. Stop it, uh-huh. right? I am black and female, right? The world has been saying no to me and mine for decades. And so it's still going to try to say that. So it is my job to say yes to myself, right? And the truth be told, your listeners are bright, they are brilliant enough to follow you on social media and listen to your podcast. So they're hungry, right? They're naturally intellectually curious. They want to do and be more. They believe that there is more out there in the universe for them. And there's more inside of them to come out to the universe. They are more than halfway there. Yeah, absolutely. They need, they need to believe in themselves. And that's what I thought. Yeah, someone, we all do. someone told me, you know, I, you, you have such courage that you go on and you're able to just post on Instagram, you know, throughout the day. And, and I I said, you would do it. And she's like, I I want to, she's like, well, what am I going to talk about? I go, I don't know. What do you love? And she's like, she's like, I kind of like, like rocks and, you know, I'm not an earthy person, but she, she's into that, like, you know, amethyst or whatever. And I was like, so post about it. Like, I know nothing about it. It may not touch me, but it's going to touch other people that are interested in it. You know, some people are like caregiving, like, oh, I have nothing, you know, I, I want no part of it. They hate their family and they're not going to take care of them. Fine. Well, guess what? You're not listening to me because you want no part of that. And, and frankly, I don't want to make you listen to me. I'm not going to try to, that's like the high school way. Okay. Like, what do you want to hear? And then I'll talk about it. Now I'm going to talk about what I want to talk about. And if you're interested, you listen. So, you know, I, I think that's great. I mean, I think that you do, you have to find what you're passionate about and you have to stick to that. And so it seems like you're in this, you know, they say, uh, learn, earn, return, right? So it looks like you're in this like return stage. Yeah. So t- tell me, tell me about NMF what it does and is it, is it your passion? Oh my goodness. I, I will tell you, I, I have, um, it is, it, it, I, I feel on a daily basis. Like I am literally walking in the purpose of my life full out. I, I, I literally, I was interviewed by, by, um, uh, an entity Becker's, uh, hospital review and Scott Becker said, is there any job on the earth that would like be more suitable for you right now on this planet. And I was like, if there is, I don't know it. So National Medical Fellowships or NMF um, as it is effectively known um, uh, is the only private organization in the continental United States of America and abroad that is solely focused on ensuring a diverse physician uh, pipeline. And we do that by ensuring um, uh, financial support and community support for black and brown, uh, BIPOC individuals, black indigenous persons of color who are underrepresented in medicine. And it's one of the first diversity organizations that this country ever had. It was founded in 1946 by Dr. Frank McLean, who himself was not of color, but looked around and recognized the need 
for physicians of color, in particular for black physicians, when this country's hospitals were still very segregated. And so what he realized was, um, well, they no longer have people to treat them if in fact there are no black physicians, but also that because so many specialty areas were segregated, um, he realized that they were just not gonna have access to opportunity. So they did this very quietly initially. However, during that time, we have given out over $40 million to over 32,000 alumni. We are the reason why clinicians of color even exist in this country. So there are probably some listeners who would think, you know, well, why is that even relevant? It's relevant because of the fact that studies have shown that everything from black and Latino babies live longer when they literally have doctors of color. Maternal mortality, women of color live longer when they have physicians of color because of the role of bias in medicine, because of implicit bias, because of structural systemic racism, um, but because of the history of medicine. And so for those who are unaware of the fact that there is much of medicine that was literally developed on the backs of involuntary exploitation and experimentation on persons of color and special vulnerable populations, right? On prisoners, on the mentally disabled, on um, uh, actually slaves, that the entire science of obstetrics and gynecology was literally developed on the literal backs of, of African women who were brought here and enslaved. And Dr. Marion Sims performed horrendous, horrendous surgeries and experiments on them without any anesthesia. Wow. And then once he perfected those things, he went out and, and performed them on white women in society utilizing anesthesia. But that he kept an entire slave paddock full of African women who were enslaved in this country. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just one. I mean, there's a Tuskegee experiment. I mean, up until 1978, there was still forced sterilization of African-American girls in North Carolina, it's really rampant. Really? So when people are looking, yeah, it's really rampant in this country. Um, on prison populations, actually it's still happening. There's a recent case that was just filed about some things that happened in Rikers. Um, there's a lot of forced um, experimentation and exploitation. Uh, actually it happened in New Jersey uh, at, at the Department of Corrections, absolutely. Um, there was a, a contract with a provider CMS that was literally, that was the name of, of the entity, not, not CMS at the federal level that was um, literally uh, given placebo pills to uh, inmates who had TB. And um, then those inmates started returning back into society and creating communities of contagion as a result of the fact that they were never really treated. Um, so it, it happens all over the place, all over the place in mental institutions. Um, it's really, you know, the, the history of medicine in this country is actually um, pretty frightful. Um, and so you've got to acknowledge it because that's how you have a better understanding about why there are healthcare disparities, right? Mm -hmm. So why it is that um, individuals are, are literally more susceptible to certain diseases. Um, uh, it's because the, the system has been designed in order to proliferate those diseases, quite frankly, um, but also as a result of some of the structural inequities in society. So we've seen this in the midst of the pandemic. And not only has the proportionality of black and brown physicians not kept great um, with our presence in the general population, but unfortunately at the end of 2020, as a result of the COVID pandemic, we literally lost over 3,600 healthcare workers. 85% were black and brown. Really? 
Yeah. And so, um, and so much of that is because our, our, our students are more likely than their cohorts to want to go to vulnerable populations and serve them. And so think about when the, right, when the pandemic right. first hit, right, there was no PPE, there were already in more, more vulnerable communities. Um, those vulnerable communities already have higher percentages of essential workers, right? So they were still out and about, they were still being exposed every day without this PPE. And then they were going to the doctors, the doctors were treating much larger numbers and in worse conditions with more frequency, et cetera. So not only have we not kept weight with our proportionality in the general population, but now we're even an entire generation behind because of the clinicians that we've just lost. So the urgency of now for me is so significant. We're literally in the middle of a global pandemic and an international reckoning around racial and social justice. This organization is the only organization that literally meets the merits of that issue at the intersectionality of the health wealth gap. It's one of the reasons why Governor Murphy just recently appointed me to the state's racial uh, wealth disparity uh, task force, right? Um, and, and it is because of this issue, the average cost of medical education is about $70,000. It's usually subsidized by one's family. The average household income of our student scholars for the entire household is $45,000. Wow, that's a shame. Yeah, so our scholars graduate with over $300,000 in debt. Um, and so I'm trying to mitigate that because I'm trying to make certain that more of them stay in medical school, more of them graduate and go on to, to become successful physicians, um, and that our pipeline continues. Uh, well, I can, I can tell you just by listening, first off, I learned so much just in that short explanation, but the, you can, you can see and feel and hear your passion for it. And with your diverse background, I can see how you are just going to make such an impact. I mean, obviously you've made an impact in what you've done thus far. So, you know, the, the, the trend is that you'll continue, but when you have passion behind it, I mean, how can, how can we, the listeners and everyone that, you know, hears this, how can we help? Thank you so much for asking that question. Oh, my whole heart. Um, uh, well, listen, they can always go online to www.nmfonline.org. They can learn more about the organization and they can donate. They can contribute. Listen, I'll take a dollar. I love 10,000 of them, but I will take whatever it is that they have to give. Um, it, it matters so incredibly much, right? I, I tell people all the time, listen, yes, you can issue a statement. You can um, uh, you know, decide that you can issue a hashtag or literally you can make a difference and impact the world. We are here in order to change the world. People talk about changing systems and structures. That's exactly what NMF does. So I would encourage them to do that. Help spread the word, right? Um, share yes. us on social, you know, follow us there, follow me there, you know, just anything at all in order to make certain, because, and I say that because I'm always retweeting everything about um, uh, NMF. I'm just learning Instagram. So I am sorry. <laughs> I'm a woman of a certain age. I'm a woman of a certain age. Um, but really, I, I got to tell you, you know, and, and participating uh, as much as possible. Follow us there. Um, join our galas every once in a while. You know, I mean, we'd love to have you. They are virtual still. Um, so you can participate from anywhere in the world. We just had our New York Regional Gala last night and, and, and broke all prior records. So I'm looking forward to doing that for our, our LA Gala, for our Chicago Gala, and our Atlanta Gala as well. Well, Micheline, anything that you do, I am a part of. So you can guarantee if you need any 
volunteers or any sort of participation, please reach out to me. I will personally be contributing. So I will make a donation when we get off. Um, but I, I do want to talk about what we're here to talk about, and that's your legacy. And <laughs> while I think that I can put together what your legacy, I'd like to hear it from you. When you are long gone, and uh, some people say, you know, you are listening to your eulogy, what do you want people to say about you? And what do you want to be known for? Oh my goodness, you're gonna make me hard. I'm gonna make me cry. Um, I once um, had a friend describe me as being very love wealthy. Oh. Between that and my mother calling me a very smart cookie, it was the highest compliment I've ever had in my life. So I have no biological children, but I have nine godchildren. Wow. And of my nine godchildren, six have lost a parent. So, oh, you're going to make me cry. Oh, I'm so sorry. So, they are my legacy. What I want most is for them to be able to stand up and say at my eulogy that they knew that they were loved by me that they felt encouraged enough by knowing that I believed in them so much that there is nothing that they cannot do. I think that NMF is a part of my legacy. This is probably my last job. I mean, I really feel like, you know, listen, I had, I, I'm proof positive of praying parents. And so I'm very blessed to do well. And as a result of that, you know, essentially I went to retirement and then came out and took this job, right? I just never got into it. I just, and, um, you know, I see advancing health equity as being the work that I would do until my very last breath. Mm. Literally. And what I want is to be able to say that I, I loved people through the law I love people through the use of policy. I love people enough to advance health equity, that I love my godchildren enough to make certain that they were well provided for. Thank you very much, Goldberg Group. Um, uh, that I love my parents well. And that if you knew me, then you knew that I truly tried to live in a love wealthy way. Oh, so beautiful. I mean, it's like you had this prepared. P.S. She did not have this prepared at all. And you are, I'm telling you, that's why I wanted to have you on. And, and I will say that all the women that I've had on thus far, I've looked up to, but they're also very close friends of mine. And you, my dear, well, I can't call you a close friend, maybe not yet. But you are someone that I looked up to when I first heard you speak. I was lucky enough to receive an award next to you. I couldn't yeah. even imagine the fact that I was in the presence of someone like you. Oh, please. 
No, for real. And to have you on my podcast, you automatically, you, you are like a Beyonce, right? That comes through and should, and then she is, I will keep saying it just, you are fabulous, but you have this love wealth that surrounds you that automatically puts people at ease. Um, since we've gotten on this call, I just felt you through a computer. I mean, how hard is that nowadays? So um, thank you. Thank you for being the person that you are. Thank you for um, helping all of us women feel a little bit more confident. And just thank you for being you, authentic through and through. Oh, well, thank you for your dedication to, to ensuring that women worldwide have an opportunity to hear someone cheer them on because we all need it. I often say that those of us who are in service and trust me, if you are a woman, that is all of us, that when we leave the house in the morning, I still can't figure out why all our neighbors aren't lined up along the street to, to <laughs> applaud us. I, I keep looking for them like, where y'all at? Like, where are you? Um, because that's what they all undoubtedly deserve. But but by virtue of, of this labor of love that you create, especially for caregivers, my God, my God, I, I'm eternally grateful. And trust me, there's never any any call that you can make to me that I will not answer. Ah, uh, oh God, I want to hug you. <laughs> you I'm are. Not gonna, I I'm that. not going to even ask when I see you. <laughs> Micheline, so I we're going to stop the recording. But before we do, thank you for spending time with me today. And if anybody wants to reach out to you, do you mind if they do? Oh, please do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, 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 mentioned, I mentioned the website. I mentioned the, the, the social. I'm on LinkedIn, so they can find me there. Um, but listen, my email is mdavis at nmfonline.org, so they can certainly get me there as well.